In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, baptism works the forgiveness of sins, and it rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. That is what Dr. Luther wrote in the small catechism. And we confess this because this is what the Bible says. The holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God teaches this in clear and plain and simple words. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 says, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Mark 16, 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. First Peter chapter three, verse 21 says it so clearly. Baptism now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There, there are more verses and I can go on, but you get the point. This is what God does for us in our baptism. He forgives us. He washes away our sin. He renews us in the Holy Spirit and he saves us from condemnation. <clears throat> now, I know that you all believe this because when you became a member here, you stood up here in the front and I asked you, do you acknowledge the gifts that God gave you in your baptism? And you said, I do. And that's saying I do to all of that. So we all know what the Bible says about baptism and we all believe and trust what it says. And it is a great and glorious blessing for the greatest and the least among us, the oldest and the smallest and the youngest among us. Now, <clears throat> Today, we've gathered here not to consider our own baptism per se, but to consider the baptism of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have a problem, right? We believe that baptism gives the forgiveness of sins. And yet the gospel lesson today says Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to what? To be baptized by John. And that is a problem. Jesus is God of God, light of light, the very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. He is perfect and pure, impeccable and immaculate. He was conceived without sin. He never added a sin to his, in his body or committed a sin in thought, in word, deed, or desire in any way. And now he is here at the Jordan asking to be baptized. So what in the world is going on here? Why is Jesus here? Now, uh, some churches don't really see a problem with this. They see Jesus here in the Jordan, and they say, big deal. Uh, because for them, 
baptism is an act of obedience, right? So they say something like, well, Jesus is being baptized in order to show us how to be obedient and in order to show us uh, what obedience entails. So they see Jesus at the Jordan and they say, look, Jesus is simply setting an example for us. He's showing us what to do. So he's being baptized because he's dedicating himself to God and he's teaching us that we should dedicate ourselves to God. We should do the same. Isn't that nice, right? Now, I, I grant that Jesus is an example to us and we should imitate him as the scriptures say. You can even argue that Jesus being baptized here uh, is an example for us. That's fine. But if that's all he's doing, then the text we have before us does not make any sense at all. Right? Uh, If that's all baptism is, a self-dedication to God, and if Jesus was simply showing us what to do, then why does John the Baptist have a problem with it. Do you see this? He has a problem. The text says Jesus came to be baptized by John and John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you and you come to me. Why would he do that? It, if, why would John try to prevent Jesus from setting an example for us, right? If, if that's all it was, if it was just a dedication, then why is John preventing Jesus from dedicating himself to the Father? And the answer is this, John tries to prevent him because John knows what baptism is about. And he sees the problem. Mark chapter one, verse four says this, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's not like his baptism was just one of self-dedication and then the baptism of forgiveness comes later. No, he says this baptism that John gives is for the forgiveness of sins. John knows that, but he also knows who Jesus is. Because John says, this is the one who comes after me and yet he was before me. He's the one who says, "Uh, this guy, this one, Jesus, is the one I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. John says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Even more, John says, I have the need to be baptized by you. So John knows he's the sinner and he knows that Jesus is the righteous one who has no need of baptism, right? So John sees the clear and obvious problem before his face. Why is somebody without sin? Why is the Lord himself who does not have any sin in him or on him coming to a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Why? Uh, Jesus tells us why. And he answered John when he tried to prevent him. And Jesus says, permit it to be so now. Allow it to take place. Because in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill, to, to accomplish and bring about all righteousness. So that is the purpose of Jesus' baptism. Now, notice, Jesus didn't say, uh, permit it so that I can set an example for everyone. Or permit it so that I can dedicate myself to the Father. He says, permit it for this is how, I, this is how we fulfill all righteousness. 
Now, what does that mean? Uh, let me put it this way. <clears throat> when we are baptized, our sins are forgiven. That is, they're washed away. But that's only one side of the coin. That's only one part of the equation. In our baptism, we're only seeing half of what's going on. Uh, there's another side to it, and that is Jesus' baptism. And in our baptism, our sins are taken away from us. But the sins don't just vanish or disappear or dissolve in the water and then evaporate and go away. The sin has to go somewhere, right? Uh, it, it's like a debt. If you carry a debt, the debt has to be paid by somebody, somewhere. Somebody's got to pay it. Maybe it's not you, but somebody else will have to pay. Well, the sin in your baptism has to be dealt with. It has to go to some place. And this is where it goes. Our sin is taken away from us. And Jesus takes the sin upon himself. So your baptism and Jesus' baptism are inextricably joined. They, they have to be. Our baptisms are like two sides of the same coin. It's like a mirror image of one another. Right? Uh, we, we see what we get in our baptism, and then we see what Jesus gets in his baptism. Now, uh, Dr. Luther, Martin Luther, called this, he called this the great exchange. The great exchange. And it's an, because he says there's an exchange or a transaction that's happening here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us what this exchange is. It says, For our sake, God made Jesus, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, in order that we might become the righteousness of God. That there is a change of places going on here. You and Jesus are, so picture it this way, you and Jesus are both in the waters of baptism, but in that water, Jesus leaves all of his righteousness, his holiness, his obedience, his faithfulness, his perfection, and he gives it to you. And you, in exchange, in that same water, leave all of your sin and all of your guilt and all of your failure and all of your wicked thoughts and all of the sin that you inherited from your parents and all of the sin that you have added to your life since you leave that in the water. And Jesus enters that water and like a sponge absorbs it into himself. And he says that is how all righteousness is fulfilled. Now, I, I want to I go, go uh, deeper into this. I, I want to show you that this is not just wishful thinking or it's just like an idea that Lutherans came up with to solve the issue or the tension here. Isaiah chapter 53 speaks of Jesus and it says that the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all, that he, the Messiah, was numbered with transgressors and he bore the sin of the many. And we know this happens in Jesus' baptism because after Jesus' baptism, John sees Jesus. And what does he then say? The English translations say he points to Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, uh, that's the English translation. But a better translation is, Behold the Lamb of God who now bears or who is now bearing the sin of the world. 
He has had it upon himself. John didn't say that when he first saw Jesus. He didn't say this before his baptism. He says it now after his baptism, that now he has, something has changed. And on him, he is bearing the sin of the world. And there was no other way. It had to be this way. It had to be Jesus, the son of God, the word made flesh. Fully God and fully man. He had to be fully man in order to be our substitute. The, sa- the sacrifice for our salvation has to be an even exchange. A one for one. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. It has to be equal in that regard. So money, no amount of money, no amount of materials, no amount of offering, no amount of good works will do. It won't do. Uh, the blood of lambs and goats and bulls will not do. They're uneven exchanges. The sacrifice has to be the blood of a man. And yet, the blood of a perfect and holy and sinless man who's tempted in every way that we are and yet without sin. And at the same time, this man had to be God because if Jesus was simply a perfect man, then the sacrifice would be for him alone. He could die for himself, but not for you. I can't die for you. King David tried to die for his people, uh, and so did Moses and Elijah, and God wouldn't accept the offering, the sacrifice. He buffed at it. The sacrifice had to be a human to be the substitute for a human. And the sacrifice had to be God so that his death would be sufficient for every human in the entire world, for the sins of the world. And that is what's happening today. Jesus takes our place. He numbers himself with us, with sinners. He puts himself forward as the one to take on the sin of the world. And when he came up, when he came up from the waters of baptism, the father broke open the heavens and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, which is to say that the father accepts this exchange. Do you see this? He allows it. It's as if he said, okay, I will accept it. And I will allow my dear and only begotten son to take the place of poor, miserable sinners. And I will allow him to bear the sin of the world, to go to the cross alone and to receive the punishment and condemnation that the entire world deserves, rightly and justly deserves. But I will give it to my beloved son instead. I will accept this great exchange and I will accept him to be the sacrifice and I will have him be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, dear saints, we are sinners who have no righteousness of our own. What we need is not therapy or inspiration or encouragement. That's not what we need, not what we need most. What we need is not to rededicate ourselves or even to try harder. Because what you will do will never be enough. What we need is a savior. And that is what you have in Christ. Everything you need is who Jesus is. And he has fulfilled all righteousness for you. 
Now, before closing, I want to remind you that in a few moments, we're going to go outside and break ground to build a new sanctuary. And we have put and are still putting our hard-earned money and resources and time and energy to build this church. But we're not building... We're not building this so that we can be a part of a club or some organization or just to pull off some great feat and build something beautiful. We're building this church so that we could gather and receive the thing we need most, which is Christ, our dear Lord. We're building this sanctuary so that every sinner who needs a savior will find him in the font and at the altar. And we're about to break ground and build a church and plant a baptismal font right in the center there where poor and helpless little infants conceived in sin could be brought to the waters of baptism and be given the kingdom of heaven. And we're doing all of that work, all of this work to this end that we would have a place where we will daily receive nothing but the forgiveness of sin through the word and the sacraments. That we would gather there to be comforted and be encouraged in our consciences and our hearts as long as we live here. So that even though we have sin, the grace of the Holy Spirit will not allow those sins to harm us. Because we are in the Christian church where there is nothing but the continuous, uninterrupted forgiveness of sins. So God be praised this day and his name be glorified among us for his great and glorious blessing of salvation to us. May God bless this work and keep us in the one true faith until life everlasting. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.